We have been studying together the book of Ecclesiastes, Life Under the Sun, With the Sun. And our lesson today is in the seventh chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. But before we do, I want you to turn with me, please, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3 of the book of Proverbs. There's a verse there that one could take and write right across the pages, the verses that we are going to be studying today. We are studying together about the streets that go nowhere, those things that cause us to stall out in our Christian growth. We start out growing with Christ and praising God, but so often, oh, so often, our growth is cut off. We reach a plateau and we stay there. And the joy and the liberty and the blessing of our lives that we had in Christ are gone and we're just going through the motions. We don't know why, because we've committed no gross sins. We're not involved in some outrageous conduct. Why is it? And we've been noticing that there are several reasons why the commonest of all was the very fact that Many of us mistake the blessings from God from fellowship with God himself. This is such a common evil, we call it Main Street, where so many people live. Others substitute the cosmetics of church life and work for a real walk with God. They mistake fun with fellow believers for the fellowship of the saints with God. We call this Hollywood Boulevard. Others can remember those good old days when their lives were filled with blessing and they fail to remember that today is God's gift to us, just as yesterday was God's gift to us. And it's foolish to say yesterday was a better than today. We must accept today from the hand of God and let him accomplish his work within us. And then the Ecclesiastes confronted with a new thought, And it's for that that I want you to look here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Perhaps one of the most frequently made mistakes in the Christian's life is the following of the directions of what we call 
common sense rather than obeying the clear directions of the Word of God. Wisdom is highly regarded by Christians. The Ecclesiast himself, in writing the book of Proverbs, quotes much of, uh, about, says much about wisdom, extols wisdom. There's one whole passage in the 8th chapter of the book of Proverbs in which he glories in wisdom. But what we fail to see is that there are two kinds of wisdom. There is the wisdom which is from above that is contained in this book. And there's the wisdom that is of the world. That is the natural wisdom of man, influenced, unfortunately, even by demons. And some people confuse the wisdom, this wisdom, and they think that walking in this wisdom is what they need. And they do not realize that they have left the way of God to walk on University Boulevard and to settle down there. And as a result, their Christian lives stagnate. Now, as the Kohalath approaches this subject, you'll notice, please, that he deals, first of all, the, with the fact of the disappointment with wisdom. And in so doing, he points out to us a common phenomena that is very confusing. In verse 15, he says, I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. Now, he's not saying here, he's not boasting that he's seen everything. What he's saying is that in his brief lifetime, he's come face to face with some tremendous things. And one of them he's going to talk about. In fact, if you would put this in the colloquial, I mean, vernacular of the day, you might say, uh, hey, now I've seen everything. For what he's saying here is this. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. It's a common phenomenon. All over the world we see this taking place. Men who are obviously good and righteous in their ways of life, suffering, many times cut off before their time, it would seem. On the other hand, rascal, crooks, men of low moral character, flourishing, living it up, some living long upon the earth. Now, this is confusing because it seems to challenge the Word of God. For example, Psalm 37 says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. But when we see these rascals get away with it, we say, when are they going to start fading? And we're upset about it, if you're really thinking. And people question it. However, there's other statements made in the Bible. For example, in Psalm 73, verses 3 and 5, 
it says, I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pains in their death. They are not troubled as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. See, this thing is a, is a common phenomenon, but it is also very confusing. Now, in answer to this, the Kohelet in verse 16 to 18 points out to us a caution concerning our practice. He says, do not be excessively righteous. Do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourselves? Do not be excessively wicked. Do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Now this particular text has been a thorn in the flesh of those who want to read the word of God. Hey, what is this business? Is Solomon telling us here that uh, we can be good sometime? And if we want to, we can sneak in a sin? You know? And really, we should not give up all sin. We should hang on to a little bit of sin and hang on to righteousness. And would this hand be righteous and would this hand be sinful? Is that what he's telling us? You see, this was a popular philosophy of his day. Advocated by Aristotle, given the glorious title of the golden mean, it is, was being proclaimed by philosophers around the world that there was no real standard of right and wrong. There's no real righteousness. And so therefore, people ought to be careful. They should adjust their lives and live in moderation. That's a very good term, isn't it? Be moderately righteous and only moderately sinful. And that's the best way to get along. Now, is that what he is saying? Is that really what he is saying? I don't believe it. Let's look at that statement. Do not be excessively or overly righteous. Is it possible to be too righteous? Righteous is that which is straight. Can one be too straight? Can it be wrong that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line? Remember, the Bible makes it very plain. God is righteous. In God there is no shadow, not the slightest shadow of sin. Would you like to worship a God who could be a little bit sinful?
to be too righteous is like complaining about being too healthy. Would you accept a, a little bit of bad health if you had the choice? Notice, please, that as you read this, it's coupled to an important statement that is overlooked. What is it? Look at verse 16 again. Do not be over-righteous. Do not be overly wise. There, I believe, is the key to what he's trying to say. As we think about this, we ought to be, we ought to think about what Jesus said. What did he say in the subject? Because if you, if you say that, that we can be, we can be just a little bit righteous and we can sin, you know, you, that comes into conflict with the rest of the word. Listen to what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 5, will you turn there please? Matthew chapter 5, and will you look please at verse 20? Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see? Jesus is identifying. There is on this earth a form of righteousness that is not real righteousness, that is not acceptable to the kingdom of God. It's a pseudo-righteousness. And those who have this pseudo-righteousness are not going to be allowed into the kingdom of God. And he says it's the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, what was that righteousness? Will you turn with me to the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done, these weighty matters. These are the things you should give your attention to without neglecting the little things as well. You see, what is the righteousness of these scribes and Pharisees? Their righteousness was concerned with the minute details of life, how you dressed, the kind of food you ate, the external things, the detailed external things. And they were winking, and they were misconstruing the doctrine of real justice, the concept of the mercy of God, the concept of the faithfulness, the being faithful to what you promise. And Jesus was pointing out to them, this kind of righteousness is not a real righteousness at all. And if you look back, please, to the 15th chapter, you'll see something else that he says about these men. In chapter 15 of Matthew, he says, then some Pharisees and scribes came to from Jerusalem saying, why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said 
And why do you yourselves, now get it, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? You look back now to that statement in Ecclesiastes. Do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. What were these Pharisees doing that Jesus condemned? What was there about their righteousness which he saw to be obnoxious? What was it? Is that they were reading the simple, clear commands of the Word of God and they were twisting them and compromising them to fit their own cultural ideas. And instead of taking the Word of God as its face value, they were saying, well, that's what it says, but common sense teaches us. And thus they twisted the Word to mean what it never said. I was reading a book a couple of weeks ago about a certain lay preacher in Scotland. And he was what they would call a hellfire damnation preacher. Uh, right on. Eh? <laughs> you know, boy, he'd thunder out against drunkenness. He thundered out against harlotry. He thundered out against gaming. Now, I would have enjoyed his sermons more if I had not read something of his biography in the front of the book. Because in the front of the book, I discovered this, that this lay preacher owned a business. And in this business, he hired little boys and girls at the age of six, seven, eight, nine, and ten to work in his factory from six o'clock in the morning until after dark at night. While he went around thundering against the gross sins. Where was his justice? Where was his mercy? Where was his faith? This is a type of righteousness you find filters into the church over and over again. I remember one day we had a, uh, when I was in a church, ministering in this church uh, many years ago, we had a woman there who was, she was something else. She was the hardest working woman I've ever seen in a church. She was a tremendous soul winner. She knew how to go out and get new people and bring them to that church better than anybody else I ever heard of. Tremendous. But there was one problem with this guy. She knew everything that was to be known and knew it perfectly and knew that she knew it. She ran a department in the church 
And she never could get anybody to work with her in that department because everything had to be done just exactly as she said it, when she said it, how she said it, in the way she said it, because that was the only possible way it could be done. A lot of what she was saying was pure bunk. A lot of what she was saying was not the Word of God at all. It was Americanism. Now, excuse me, we're Americans, but we're not perfect, you know. One day, one day I was called in the middle of the night on the telephone. This woman was in the hospital with a heart attack. Now will you read that verse? Verse 15. I have seen everything in my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. Verse 16. Do not be overly righteous. Do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin your life? That's what he's cautioning us about. This idea of not accepting what the Word of God says at its face value and following it and walking in the ways of righteousness and letting the Holy Spirit bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's the way God expects us to live. But oh, there are so many that go the path of legalism. They set up their own little rules. Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. And they're not content with doing it for themselves. They insist that everybody else follow the same pattern. And they're working hard at it night and day, night and day, night and day. And God says you're walking down a street that's going nowhere. You're not growing in grace and the knowledge of Christ. You're doing a lot of work. You're making a lot of sound. You think you're very righteous. But you're really not. You're really not. You've walked away from the path of true righteousness and you're involved in details that God has said nothing about and you're trying to cram your ideas and your wisdom down people's throats. And if you keep it up, you're going to put yourself in a grave. Then he says something else. Look at verse 18, 17, right? He says, Do not be excessively wicked. And do not be a fool. Now, wait a minute. Is he saying by this that it's all right for us believers to engage in a little bit of sin as long as we don't engage in an excessive amount of sin? Is that what he's saying? Well, I want to say to you, if that's what he's saying, then he's in absolute contradiction to the rest of the Word of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? God forbid. How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? Verse 15 of chapter 6 also says, Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? The answer, God forbid. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin, that you don't even sin once. 
It literally means that. He is not saying to us, uh, uh, don't, don't, don't sin excessively. You can sin a little bit, but don't sin excessively. Oh, I know. You know, he makes it very plain. He makes it very plain that there's, if you look right uh, down there in, uh, in verse, uh, where? Verse 20. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. You know, you as an I, as a believer, we can't get away from sinning. We don't have to go out and look for it. It'll look for us. So he's not telling us here, hey, look it. You can go out and sin a little bit. He is not talking about that at all. He is making it very plain to us that if we, for notice what he couples it with, he said, do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. And then he adds this, why should you die before your time? You know, some fathers every once in a while will say of their sons, oh, he's just uh, sowing a few wild oats. Things will be all right. Right now he's just sowing a few wild oats. Hey, Dad. The problem is that he's going to have to reap the crop. Go ahead. Reach out and grab that sin and enjoy it. Hey, by the way, while you're doing it, really enjoy it because you're going to pay for it. You're not going to get away with it. If you sow to the flesh, the Word of God says, you shall reap corruption. Will you turn with me back to the book of Romans, chapter 6? And let me remind you of something that we are often very unmindful of. A passage of Scripture that we tried, we, we pointed this out to you as we studied the book of Romans not long ago, but I want you to see it again. Romans, chapter 6, and verse 22. But now, he says, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God... That's true of every believer. Jesus has forgiven you your sin. And Jesus has set you free from sin. And you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. And all things have become new. And you are now a slave and a servant of God. That's the truth of every believer. Jesus has freed you from sin. And you are now the servant of God. What are you to do? What he tells you. You derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal. You're to let God go on carrying his work. He's freed you from sin. He's freed you from sin. He's made you the servant of God. And you're to let him carry out his work of transforming you into the image of Christ that you may enter in an inheritance of eternal life. Then he throws in a warning. You know what? You know to whom we quote Romans 6.23? We quote it to unbelievers. We quote it to the unsaved people. Paul never wrote this to unsaved people. He wrote this to Christians. And look at what it says. To Christians. The wages 
of sin is death. Now, he's not talking about eternal death. He says that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you believed on Jesus Christ, he gave you eternal life. That doesn't mean you can fool around with sin. That doesn't mean you can sneak off and enjoy it a little bit as long as you're not excessively wicked. He warns you. You fool around with sin. The result is death. And that's exactly what that's exactly what the Koheleth is saying here in verse 17. If you come back to Ecclesiastes, he says, Do not be overly wicked. You're naturally going to be a little bit wicked, and you can't help that. There's nothing you can do about it because sin is in you, and you're not even conscious of the fact you're sin. You don't have to reach out and grab some more for yourself. Do not be a fool. Why should you die? before your time. And then he concludes by pointing out something we ought to grab. He says there, please, if you look at verse 18, it is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Now, what does he say? He's saying this. That the person who has the fear of God within him realizes that he is responsible not to be involved in this pseudo-righteousness, but to let the Spirit of God who is in him bear the fruit of the Spirit with, within him which, against which there is no law and which is the real righteousness of Christ. And he's to let the Spirit of God live through him and let this shine out in his life. And he's to have no fooling around with sin in his life. He is to avoid legalism. And it's minor rules that take us nowhere. And he's to avoid wickedness. And he's to hold the righteousness that God will produce in one hand. And he is the whole freedom from sin in the other. And as a godly man who has the fear of God within him, this is the way he lives, this is the way he walks. Having pointed that out to us, he then moves on to point out to us counsel regarding the power of wisdom. Because we want to lean on wisdom. We want to trust wisdom. We want to trust this common sense that we talk about. We want to trust how we understand things. And he warns us now about the power of wisdom. Notice verse 19. He says, Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are, who are in a city. And what he's saying here is that wisdom, wisdom is much stronger than might. Wisdom is much stronger than might. You know, and then he says something else. He says, indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. What's the trouble? What's wrong with me following my common sense? 
What's wrong with me interpreting the scriptures as I see them and understand them? What's wrong? It's because I still have sin in me. And the glasses with which I read my Bible are fogged with my prejudice towards my own sin. And my tendency is to read the commandments and to read the Word of God so that they will fit the pattern of behavior which I favor and want to follow. And we see this oh, so often in the lives of people, how they take the Word of God and twist them to fit their own ideas, their own ways, because they want to go in the way of wisdom. Wisdom is greater than might. But you can't trust wisdom. Because we are sinful. And we twist the things. And we need not to trust our common sense, not to trust our wisdom, but to trust the expressed statement that is put out in the Word of God. And then he concludes with one more thing for us. He calls us to avoid the advice of human beings. For notice what he says here in verse 21. Also, do not take seriously all words which are spoken, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Now, this is a proverb. Now, he's not really talking about cursing here. This is a proverb. He says, don't take seriously everything people say to you because there is likely to be error, untruth in what they're saying. And then to reinforce it, look at verse 22. He says, For you also realize that you likewise have many times cursed others. You aren't perfect. You don't know everything. You don't interpret everything the right way. And neither does anybody else. Oh, how often in our Christian lives we flee to others for counsel. Now, the Scriptures tell us in the multitudes of counselors there's wisdom. The Bible tells us that God has given to his church the gift of counseling. There's a ministry that we perform as we counsel one another. But my friend, listen carefully to what the counselor says and do not accept at face value the voices of all the counselors. Make sure that the counsel they are giving you is the counsel of the Word of God. Oh, your counselor must be, may be an eminent psychiatrist or an, a, a knowledgeable psychologist or a tremendous person well-versed in the areas of marriage and human behavior. But is what they're saying what God says? Or is it just a piece of human advice? There's a story told of an older man and his grandson. And they were starting out for the city. You've heard this story, I'm sure. It's an old French tale. 
And they were going out to the city, and there was his grandfather and his grandson and a donkey. And they walked down the road. And as they went on down the road to go to the city, they passed some people. They noticed that this father, this grandfather, and his grandson was walking in the donkey along with them. And one of them laughed and said, Look at those foolish people walking along with that nice, strong donkey. Why don't they ride on the donkey? And so the uh, grandfather stops and takes his grandson and puts his grandson on top of the donkey and starts down the road. They meet some more people. People say to them, Look at, look at that man. He's got that healthy young boy there riding a donkey, and he, an old man, is walking. So he stops, and he takes the boy off the donkey, and he gets on. They go a little bit further. They meet somebody else, and somebody says, Isn't that terrible? That that old man, that strong young, that strong old man there, walking, riding a donkey, and, and, and that boy, that poor little boy, having to walk in this heat. So when they got by, why the old man reached down and he pulled the little boy up and set him on the donkey. Then they went along, and they met some more people. You know what happened? Look at those cruel people. These were people from the SPCA. Look at those cruel people. Look at them. How they're miserably they're treating that donkey, loading him down with all his load. And so the grandfather and the boy got off the donkey, scratched his head. Finally, he waved to his grandson and said, you take the front end, and he took the back end. They picked up the donkey and started down the road. You ever gone around with a real problem in your heart and life? And you go on to this Christian and they said, do this. And you go on to the next Christian and they tell you what? Do just the opposite, right? So where do you go? How do I find out what I am to do? Will you turn with me in closing, please, to the book? of Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 6. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Jesus, as he had his disciples in the upper room, as they met with him there, they had the scriptures. But he said to them, listen, he said, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all he will take of the things of mine, the sayings, the teachings that I have been giving to you. He's going to take of the things of mine and show them unto you. 
How does God expect us to live in the midst of this world? Not by human wisdom. Not by common sense. Not on University Boulevard. But to walk in the Spirit. Now, careful, please. That does not mean that you and I are just to, you know, sit down and say, Now, Spirit, what do you want to say to me? And he speaks through your mind. Not that. The Holy Spirit does not speak to us that way. The Holy Spirit speaks through the Word of God. Read it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse, in chap, chapter 2 and verse 13, the Holy Spirit instructs us through the Word. It's as we apply ourselves to the teaching of the Word, as we apply ourselves to the memorizing of the Word, as we apply ourselves to the reading of the Word, the Holy Spirit gives us the instruction, gives us the glimpse of the reality and the truth of righteousness, delivers us from legalism, and brings us into the freedom of the children of God, brings us to the truth that sets us free so that we can know the way to go. May I ask you, why do you study the Word of God? Why do you memorize the Word of God? To know it? To know more than other people? Is that it? Thy words of the psalmist, I have hid in my heart. Why? Huh? That I might not, what? Sin against thee. It's not by walking in the path of, and the living on the street of University Boulevard. It's by walking in the Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit instruct us and letting the Holy Spirit take the Word of God and build it into our hearts and accepting the Word of God as its face value, not trying to twist it and make it conform to our thinking patterns, but accepting what the Word of God says and the Spirit of God teaches us from it. It is in that way that you and I are built up and we, are, we begin to bear the real fruits of real righteousness. And with one hand, we hold the true righteousness. And we overcome sin and gain the victory over sin. And with the other hand, we have freedom from the defeat to sin. And as godly people, we hold them both. Heavenly Father, oh, we are a people who need this message. We are so prone to get all tied up with pseudo-righteousness. We are so prone to get all tied up in doing what we think is important. We are so prone to forsake the God we love. Some of us who need our Heavenly Father to give up our own ideas of righteousness, and to submit to the teaching of the Holy Spirit and learn from him that we might not sin against him. But others of us, our Heavenly Father, who are dibbly and dabbling in sin, and Lord, the price is going to be very bitter to pay someday. Oh, deliver us from this, we pray. Help us to become a people that hold 
your righteousness in one hand and our freedom from sin in the other. And to walk in the Spirit, we ask you to help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.